They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. My guest today is Mohamed Triki. Mohamed is a 22-year-old Tunisian podcaster working on Bourjoulaya podcast, the first and so far the only podcast focusing on toxic masculinity in Tunisia. Mohamed studied business administration and his passion for feminism and storytelling led him to the world of podcasting. He grew up in Tunis in a middle-class family, went to public school, and he has very nostalgic memories about his childhood, his large community of friends, and the neighborhood he has been living in all his life. When he was young, he used to do theater, and you can actually find a video of him on YouTube when he was 11 years old and played a role in a play on Palestine. Theater allowed him to express himself in a way that no other medium could. He grabbed every opportunity to integrate theater into everything he was doing. He also started publishing poems and articles from a very young age. Mohammed is very interested in economics and in development studies and eager to bring in something new, taking into account his diverse and multifaceted being. He says, I want to see what I can bring as someone who comes from North Africa, the Arab region, the Mediterranean. I have this idea of how I can belong to different spheres and different circles and identities. Arab, Muslim, feminism, economics, maths and arts, my own definition of religion and so on. About his hobby, he told me he likes running because that is the only thing he's doing due to the bad transportation system in Tunisia. Talking to Mohammed was so much fun and I could have gone on and on talking to him. We talked about toxic masculinity and what it means, about men's mental health, their bodies, unwanted dick pics, the penis, smashing the patriarchy and fatherhood. And I thank Mohammed from my heart for his openness and wonderful vibes. Enjoy the episode, beautiful people. Welcome, Mohammed. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. I'm very happy that you are my guest today. Thank you, Stella. I'm very happy uh, to be on your podcast. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about Masculinity and Bourjolais on your podcast. Yes. So you already mentioned it, that, yeah, you are a podcaster and you have a show called, called Bourjolais on Inkifada. Yeah. And I would like you to tell us what it's all about. So. And what it means. Yeah. Uh, Bourjolais is uh, a podcast, is a local Tunisian podcast made by me, uh, Mohammed, and my partner uh, in the project, Malik Rahuma. Uh, we went to the same school, so we are we are friends before we start the podcast, and we both don't have any any uh, any relation with media, journalism, and so on. We just had an idea, and we just want to do it, and we started doing it. So it's a podcast that that is working on masculinity toxic masculinity and it its goal is to deconstruct the idea and here when I, what i want to say about deconstruction or even like we can substitute it with the word understand it because what we want to do is actually we want to define what is masculinity 
uh, and how can we, how can we, uh, is it, is it something that we can change? Is it something that, is it something that is given by nature? Is it something that, that is, is inherent in our, in our, uh, in our, uh, biology, in our uh, personality, in our psychology? Uh, is it something that is cultural, social, and is it something that is religious? Is it something that is, uh, I don't know, um, economic maybe? Uh, what is the definition of masculinity? So the first task of Bourjolais is to, to draw a picture of masculinity. That was the first, the first, the first uh, goal that we wanted to achieve through the first season. And then from that definition, and by, def by defining masculinity, like we consequently uh, define what, I what is a man? Who is the man? Uh, what, what is manhood? And uh, what is patriarchy maybe? And in the same uh, stream, we define what is womanhood, what is femininity, and who is, uh, what does it mean to be a woman? As you can, as you can see, it's a lot of definitions, it's a lot of concepts, a lot of notions, and uh, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of reflection that we want to do. So maybe it can be very loaded and very heavy to take at some point. And that's why we wanted to do it in a very, in a very, uh, how to say it, uh, simple and very, because the idea accessible, was accessible. Maybe. Yeah, we wanted to make it accessible for people, for people who are maybe confused and, uh, about themselves, about who they are and about how they are dealing with all of these notions and all of these definitions and concepts that we, we took from our education and from what we know about the world. So. That was like the, and the second one, and the second goal is to set a, a new definition for what is masculinity. Like the first one, the first goal is to define it and to see what it is, what is it, and then to maybe to adjust it to what, what new concepts should be like to adapt it to the new, to the new world of, uh, and to the new movement and to look at it from, from feminist, from a feminist view and fem, from feminist perspective to see, uh, is it, is it, is this what we want? For example, for me as a man, is it, is this a definition of manhood of, or of masculinity that I see myself in? Is it my own definition of masculinity? Can I have, like, do I have the possibility to set my own definition of masculinity? Is it even possible to do this? What are the effects of this current masculinity that we, that we have in the front? So all of this, maybe we'll come back to this later in, uh, when we talk about masculinity, but Bourjolia deals with all of these, uh, all of these questions and all of these notions and in a very simple, accessible way. Well, that's why I said Tunisian and local because we want, we use Tunisian language and Tunisian dialect. So we make it accessible for people to understand it and to, to interact with it and to have reflections on their own. But also we have like testimonies and people, local experts and local, um, local analysts and local activists and feminists and even artists. And can you also tell us the meaning of Bourjolais? Does it mean something? The word? Yes. Yes. Actually, it's a very famous, it's the, the famous Tunisian word for, for example, when, uh, in Tunisia, we use it, for example, when we want to say to someone, act as a man, like act mainly or please like, Come on, come on, man, like act as a man. But it means more than that, honestly, because it is even used be between women. <laughs> and uh, it is used to say, for example, if we want, if, for example, I tell you, Stella, oh, Stella, oh, Stella, come on, tell me the truth or, uh, or tell me something or do it for me, for example, I would say, go, come on, Burjuleya do this for me or something. So Burjuleya also means like that you act upon 
trust, upon confidence, upon uh, good values. You act with uh, with ethics and so on. So it's more than the definition of masculinity. So it's deeper than than the uh, than uh, than acting or than behaving as a man or as a real man. And this is more interesting to study, like more interesting to look into, because because the definition of masculinity and the manhood and uh, and to be a man in the uh, where I come from, maybe in the North African region, in the Arab region, it actually goes beyond what what is the meaning of masculinity or what is the meaning of man? Because, for example, in, even in our culture, for example, we say like women, we say rajrunus, it likes a man and a half, which doesn't mean anything, but it means that if it means that we, how it, it tells a lot on how we, on how we see masculinity and how we see the position of man in our society. It's like uh, when we want to, to appreciate someone or appreciate the behavior of, uh, of, uh, of someone who is uh, brave, of someone who is, uh, who is confident, who is, uh, who is uh, someone who is trustworthy, someone who can, I can rely on. He is a man. Like that's the real uh, definition of men. So it's very interesting to to, to use it as uh, to use it as uh, as a title for the podcast. And uh, it was so random that I chose it actually. But at the same time, when we when we started doing the podcast and people like saw the uh, the name of Burjuleya, they started uh, sending to us messages on how we should defend more the uh, the rights of men. Like uh, oh men, wow uh, yes, and they started to send us videos and so on about, for example, men who are maybe misogynist or something like this to to defend them and to share these ideas. But later on, when they heard the podcast and when they heard uh, the first the first trailer of the podcast, they had all of these hopes shut down. Yes, thank you so much. Um, and of course, you mentioned many different terms and uh, many words, many big words and strong words, and we want to decode some of them today and also define them. And I also remember that uh, you told me also that Bourjolais started with a lot of anger from your side, yes. which of yeah. course, uh, as feminists, we know that emotions and especially anger are also part of our movement and they're very legitimate feelings. But one, what I want to ask you right now is you already mentioned it. What is toxic masculinity for you? Like, how would you define it? And also what is your personal journey with it? So for me, mm, toxic masculinity is... A version of masculinity, first of all, it's a version of masculinity that takes everything that is masculine to the extreme. So when we think about men, what is expected from men is to be leaders. Like we cannot see that we should see them in the front. We should see them taking uh, taking leadership positions. Taking uh, not not I'm not taking I'm not talking about politics and leadership position in the state, but even like in groups of friends, like for. Um, for example, uh, when when we go out or when we, we do certain activities, like men should be in the front and should do certain activities. And this have some explications uh, and some explanations like uh, like uh, their their biological uh, biological uh, uh, characteristics and conditions. Their their maybe maybe their how they how, how they were raised and educated. But also, it, it is also in our imagination, it's also in our culture, in our education. So it's social part of it, a huge part of it. So it takes, for example, this leadership position or this leadership idea of how men should be leaders and take it to the extreme to what we talk about, for example, domination, that men should be dominant. So they when enter a space, they should control it and dominate it. And it, they should be on the, on the, on this, um, superior to other people and superior to the other. Other groups 
and especially to minorities and especially to oppressed groups already for example like women and uh, and uh, other definitions of masculinity and other definitions of a gender that do not fit in any boxes uh, of what we already know about gender and uh, on masculinities so uh, so this is for example a very big definition of toxic masculinity for me uh, or what we I deal with on a regular basis is that I deal with men who wants to dominate others and who wants to take the space and to, who wants to to show that they that they how experts they are how well uh, educated they are how strong they are how brave they are uh, sometimes it's uh, and this is what we call performance So toxic masculinity, a huge part of it is also about performance, that we want to show everything, that we want to show how good we, uh, how good we are and how, how superior we are to really compare to others. And it's also in our head, like I see people who are struggling to do this. Like I see people, I see my friends, for example, and even sometimes me, like sometimes I get struck with the idea on how I am doing all of this just to show myself or just to 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 appear do i need to do this do i have to do this what does it mean to me and what does it what feeling uh, does it give to me so uh, i start asking myself these questions and, and and i'm still asking myself these questions so i became aware of the definition of masculinity and toxic masculinity but it's also not a, only about domination or dominating others it is more also about shutting down your feelings So for example, and this is a huge, huge, huge part of masculinity and toxic masculinity actually, because when we talk about men is we talk about how strong we are, how capable we are. And with a strong and capability and in, the, in our capacity to deal with the world and to, to, to be leaders also, we cannot, we cannot show vulnerability, we cannot show emotions, we cannot so, show uh, sensations, we cannot show uh, tears. It is a sign of Uh, it is a sign of vulnerability and uh, and weakness but it also d d like it also removes this idea of superiority because if we cry if we show emotions we are we are like women so we are not superior to them anymore and from this idea from this idea of having an emotions we can also talk about bullying for example and how toxic masculinity is also about So, for example, I, I, I talked about domination and the performance, but also emotions and shutting down emotions has its own performance on how we bully others and how we we start to shut down our 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 emotions. We can also talk about our relationship with our body. For example, if we are men, we should be strong and strong phys and especially physically. So we need to do certain things, and we can talk about our our idea and our image of our bodies. And also of our, our image of, of our sexual performance and our sexual abilities, and this has like it's a very wide and very uh, open uh, discussion uh, that we can have later on. But all of these attributes, all of these characteristics of what is toxic masculinity, like what is the definition, and some of the characteristics that that I confronted, that I dealt with, that I deconstructed, that I started to understand, and that I saw maybe I'm. I have so much right now in my head. <laughs> big words. Thank Other you big for words. sharing all this. No, no, no. <laughs> But it's also, I mean, what, what became so clear also from your from your answer is it's a system. It's not always, an, it's not an individual thing. And it has a lot to do with power and dividing people and putting them into boxes. And also like the other day, my children came home because you mentioned the body right now. And they say, mom, uh, this and this person in the square started talking about his genitals and started telling us that yes. they're very big 
and uh, that yeah. soon he will have a girlfriend and he will use them. And my kids are, I mean, those two, I have four kids, but they're eight and nine. And what I like a lot is because we're very open as a family, we talk mm-hmm. about everything and, and we answer their questions. So first I was happy they came home and they shared this with us. And I say to them, okay, thank you, first of all, for telling mm-hmm. me this, you know, but th- there you already see this toxic masculinity that this yeah. boy felt he needed to talk about his genitals and in a way of they're big and I'm yes. going to use them soon and I'm yes. going to have a girl. And you're like, wow, this, this kid is 13. Where's, where did he hear that? Right. Yeah. Someone told him this and then my kids hear it, but then thankfully they come home and they share it with us and we can talk to them about it and we can explain it and we can contextualize it. And we can say that this is not something you should be talking about. And this is not something that you should be building your character or whatever you are on. So um, yeah, it starts from a super young age, you know, and 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 th- the other thing is also something that my kids uh, come home and, and we've talked about it is that they say, yeah, people use the word gay as a swear word in school, right? Yeah. So what you said, there's this one image of masculinity yeah. that excludes so many others, yeah. plus gender minorities. And again, I tell my kids, gay is not a swear word. Mm-hmm. Someone is gay and that's it. So I tell them when people use it, you have to put them into the right position. Um, Moving a little bit uh, forward now, based on what you said, and this is also something that you speak about on your podcast, the Vitruvian man. Not everybody listening might be familiar with it, or maybe they know it, but they don't know the term. So can you tell us who is the Vitruvian man and why is it important to deconstruct this image? The definition of the Vitruvian man is, it it is actually like uh, an image or uh, like, uh, yeah, it's an image done by uh, da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci, in a very geometric uh, way. Like it's maybe the definition of you, you have a body in the center. It's a very famous uh, picture, actually. You yes. have a body in the center and between circles. And then you have in different positions. And then you have like some metrics on how the perfect body looks. And it's actually a male body. It's a body of a man. Uh, so you have penis and uh, you have, uh, you have, uh, muscles and uh, so on. So, um, here th- we, we have this idea of talking about this and we have, it's actually the, uh, the title of podcast, uh, episode of dealing with the, with the body image of men and the impact of toxic masculinity of, on the relationship between men and their bodies. And uh, one of the team, uh, Rim, who is from Inkifaba, she chose this, uh, she suggested this, uh, this title for the episode. And it was part of how can we, how can we put all of the pressure that we talked about in the podcast, all of these beauty standards, all of the rigid system that we, that we put, uh, the boxes, how we say that we're talking about boxes and how we define masculinity. Uh, even in the relationship of uh, ma- between men and their bodies, in in very strict definitions on the on how they deal with their bodies and how they interact with their bodies and how they they uh, they see their bodies. So we were kind of confused on what is the proper word on what is this most maybe like how can we put all of this in an image that people can actually see it, not just not just a title, not just an artistic title. And we had this idea, which, which was very good, uh, to summarize all of the dilemmas that men face in their ways to conform 
to the definition of of what is the the most masculine body and how it should look like. Uh, moving to your uh, the second part of the question, which is uh, <laughs> what was the second part of the question? <laughs> Why should we deconstruct that? Okay. Actually, we what what you said. Well, for example, uh, we started from toxic masculinity. We started from masculinity and toxic masculinity, and then directly we we moved into the body, and this is quite natural because body and the relationship between men and their body is a huge part. It's a central point in the toxic masculinity because it always starts from there. Because when we talk when we talk about strong strong men and uh, being strong and being uh, the real man, if we want to take it to the primitive definition, it is in our physics. It is it is in our uh, physical appearance and it is in our bodies. It's not about how much money we have, how much land we have, how much uh, power we have. If we talk about masculinity, the first idea that we have is how do we look? How do we look when we look into the mirror? And this is a very primitive idea, but it is, but it does exist now, and it is still very popular. For example, when I open when I open uh, Instagram, there is a very very famous uh, reel about uh, about uh, working out and so on. And one of the reel, like it says. I don't care how much uh, money you have. I don't care how much cars you have. If you do not beat me physically, you cannot beat me or you cannot, you cannot, uh, I don't know, uh, surpass me or something. And it, it, it like, it exists, this idea on physics and um, like the physical appearance of, uh, of man and the pressure that they face, not only on their, on the, on the, on the, like, on the muscles and all of the, uh, uh uh, let's say uh, how big and tall they are, but also in the beauty standards they have, they have on the how they look. Maybe also on the ten, uh, like the tan of their their skin, the color of their skin. Most importantly, in in uh, in this context, in the Tunisian context, because it is a topic, it is a problem here. And one of the stories, for example, let's say to 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 because the the podcast is not in English yet, so may, uh, there is a there is an important story that we told, which is about someone who works on the uh, who is an engineer, who is a civil engineer. So he works always on the construction fields and so on, and he has some problems, has some serious problems with his skin because he is. Uh, always uh, in the construction field, so uh, with the heat, with the heat, and so on. So he has so many problems with his skin, and he, he, his doctor asked him to put some cream every two hours. And he was so ashamed that he is going to do this that he needed to tell his colleagues and his coworkers that he has skin cancer, so that they can they can stop or they cannot see him as someone who is acting feminine or acting weird or why are you doing this so he actually like acted to be uh, and made all of the story about having skin cancer so he can have an excuse to put some cream on his skin and this story like is very amazing on it's very actually awful <laughs> for the man that he want that he needed to pretend to be someone to be sick but also it's very it's very important to see how like this is a very clear picture of how masculinity look and how what is the direct impact of masculinity like someone needed to pretend he is sick 
to have an excuse to put some screen, some sunscreen on his face. I'm not on. I'm, I'm not even talking about beauty uh, and like uh, beauty products. I'm talking about just for the protection. Let even for the uh, for the beauty products. For example, for me, I'm somehow some, sometimes I put some beauty uh, products even for cleaning and for hygiene and so on and there is always this look from from my cousins maybe from my father what are you doing like what are you doing and why are you doing this like th you are not supposed to be doing this so there is a lot of pressure because what because as a man you should not be doing this you should be doing some, something else this is something that is for women and this is something that is feminine and you shouldn't be uh, should you shouldn't be doing this but there is a slight change in this definition of manhood because there is with the feminist movement and with the uh, with the openness of uh, of people but also from the pressure of women because women today and this is something that very interesting that we talked about in the podcast about the body image that women today are not just asking for for any type of man. They want hygiene. They want men who look nice. They want men who are taking care of their bodies. And it is important in their relationship. And this like uh, change in the desire to man led to a change in the in the uh, relationship between men and their bodies. But it also still toxic somehow. For example, if we take a look into what is happening in uh, in the gym, uh, like sometimes there is very dynamic and very clear power dynamics between men themselves for example men who are skinny men who are uh, some sometimes like a bit uh, fat on men who are like who look very in shape there is a very different dynamics between them uh, in terms of their how they look to themselves but also in how they can how they consider themselves very desirable from uh, men and also from uh, from women and also from men uh, how they look to the mirror and how upset and the obsession they have sometimes with their body image and how they interact with, 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 with women in the gym. And we heard so many testimonies of men. For example, there is a story uh, of a woman who is in the gym and one man uh, like saw her doing an exercise and he decided that he will talk to her. He talked to her to let her know that she is not doing it right. And then when he went away, another man uh, came in and told her that that what he told her is not right, and this is how it should work. And this friend didn't ask even for an advice, didn't ask for any any help because she knew what she she was doing, and she had very clear agenda of the exercises that she, that she were making. But this was like a very interesting picture to look into on how they try to to use the this space, which is the gym, uh, which is somehow masculine. Uh, they use their uh, their their bodies and their desirability and so on to also impose their their domination, their power, their their superiority, and they and to say that we are here, like we, you should notice us. Maybe you are making some speculations, <laughs> but also it's very interesting in the pattern and how it repeats itself in very different spaces, in very different uh, in very different um, countries sometimes. For example, when you talk about your children, I also relate to what they what they went through. I live this, these stories of my uh, friends coming to me in a very young age and talking about the size of their penis even before we hit puberty. And it was very interesting now to look into that and to see where is all of this coming from and how can we change it and uh, what is the impact on ourselves now? For example, some men, because of this education, because of these, uh, because of this speech about the size of the penis, now some men are so 
are so afraid of sexual relationship and yeah. sexual intercourses and uh, are they going to perform well uh, is their penis is good is their penis is uh, um, is in the in the in the perfect size with with perfect between quotes because there is no perfect size because maybe maybe there are, there are some definitions of what is the average size or what is maybe some medical definitions but there is, but we know that sexual uh, sexual pleasure is more than the size of the penis is it is actually not mainly about the size of the penis and that's why i made an entire episode about the penis actually that's why really? i made yes, great i, made, I didn't yeah. know that yes i made it's actually it's actually called the penis <laughs> yeah it's on instagram you can check it uh when when i had i interviewed sexologists and also a psychiatrist to deconstruct all of these ideas and all of these myths about the size of the penis how can we like men how can we ejaculate no, it's not how but like is it if there are some standards that we wanted to deconstruct and we discovered that maybe there are no standards maybe it's more personal it's more about our pleasure and maybe we want to connect more with the, with our bodies and talk more with our partners about what they want and what what we want as individuals and uh yes yes i have so many things to say <laughs> it's funny actually i mean first of all i really like how we how we are progressing within the episode i also like a lot how we started with the body maybe just for the listeners about the vitruvian man uh, because as you said it's about the body but maybe we should also just add that it's a white man he's able bodied his penis is visible so he's naked his body is like i mean in brackets the perfect body so he's not fat or anything he looks actually like he's working out a lot in the gym and it's funny because when you were talking i actually thought about the gym and i thought about the guys in the gym who do this you know they stand in front of the mirror and they do the weightlifting yeah. and they make these weird sounds that you feel like okay yeah. like why <laughs> what are you doing? i mean what are you doing and then the other thing is also with the with the penis thing right do you hear women yes. talking about their vulva or the vagina and saying oh i have this big clitoris and i'm going yeah. to do this and this and this yeah, you actually, know actually like, actually there is there is a funny thing is that We didn't only make one episode about the penis. We made two. The first one was very sexual education oriented, but the second one was more about the image of the penis and uh, the the dick pic. We actually yeah. it's the Oh thing, yeah, the, I saw that. One. Yes. And how on how men are sharing their the yeah. uh, images and pictures of their dicks uh in uh, non-consensual uh ways. Uh yes with uh, with women and with also their their even with their partners like uh, we also went there and do, do women and do even like men within their partners actually want to see dicks <laughs> and we discovered yeah that, yeah that's what we wanted to yeah. ask that was yeah. that was the very simple question very good question because i don't want to get any dick pics yeah that's the question was like i mean you actually enjoy it you actually like that was the question for the interviewees and for the testimonies do you actually want to see a dick pic and does it does it give you pleasure to do it and even what 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 are the motivations and we want more than that because in our experiences in the testimonies that we got men who who do this do not even do not only share their dick pics but they want 
they ask for feedbacks actually mm. <laughs> they want for example they they ask these questions like can you in in a very in a very in a very uh, erotic way for example like describe it or will it give you pleasure how do you think of it or something like this and it's somehow very intimidating for 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 women who do not want this yeah, but they but they need to do this but they need but sometimes they feel the need to do it because they don't want to hurt their partners and they don't want to, especially their egos because we hear we hear also other stories of of men who got very insecure because of uh, the the size and the shape of their penises so we wanted to to look on both sides and how how can we make the gap between them but also is it needed that you ask for feedback is the feedback even needed so that we we want to we have all of these insecurities and so on Uh, yes and, and and what yeah. i also liked a lot about what you said is about sex pleasure intimacy yes. it's not just about penetration and it's yeah. not just about okay we have sex and the moment the man comes i mean i'm talking now about a, a heterosexual relationship the sex is over mm -hmm. okay that's it he finished finished you know and yes. it's also about sex or intimacy it's not just penetration it can be a, it can be just touching it can be rubbing yeah. it can be sucking yeah. it can be Everything. It like can be actually, even speech, yes. you know. I mean, you, you how do you how do you create intimacy? Intimacy can be created even intellectually, you know, or or yeah. in so many ways. Mm. And there's so much that we need to deconstruct. So I'm really happy that we're having this conversation, you know. And of course, as you said, this this idea of I have the right to send you a dick pic or I have the right to talk about my yeah. penis. I mean, no, you don't. Why yeah. do you even think you can do that, right? So yeah. yeah. And we we actually went to went to uh, what uh, so our standpoint and our perspective was what is a relationship and what is what is the role of toxic masculinity in all of this what what does toxic masculinity have to do with all of these uh, concepts with all of the uh, with all of this behavior for example a man who is taking a picture and send it to someone with not without asking for permission. And we want to ask, for example, for the power dynamics in that on someone, for example, who got, for example, we have testimonies of women rejecting men. So they take pictures of their genitals and then send it over as a form of intimidation and as a form of power mm -hmm. and sometimes humiliation. But we also went further to ask for the bullying some men face and the shaming yeah and the shaming some men face because of the concept as a consequences as a consequence of uh, what they did and uh, is it is it legitimate for feminists to do this as like shaming sometimes happen when they when they share the pictures in groups and so on and they start to shame the person who sent the pictures even he is uh, we, we know that what he what he did is wrong So we want to take all of these perspectives and all of these discussions. We don't have a definitive answer to all of these answers, to all of these questions, but we asked so many questions and we went to, we wanted to push people to ask questions themselves and to, to sort, to sort out their own answers and to sort out their own reflections because we, we are not looking for answers actually in Burjuleya. The first step and the, the primary goal that we are looking for is reflection. Uh, as as a first step in deconstructing all of the all of the ideas, all of the learning that we got uh, in our culture. Yes, and it sounds like you're opening up on 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 all fronts. Let's say yes, 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 yes. And Mohammed, we talked now uh, about the body, but you also mentioned, of course, at the beginning, 
um, the emotions, not just at the beginning, throughout. And that's another thing that I would like us to talk about and something that you also tackle on your podcast, men's mental health. So how does toxic masculinity create a gap between men mm -hmm. and their emotions? And how do social gender norms that are constructed, as we said at the beginning, mm -hmm. contribute actually to mental health disorders in in, in men? Yeah. So and the first maybe just, just to add also yeah. here, we have a very inclusive definition of men and a yeah, very loose sure. definition of men. Yeah, like sure. we here right now, but not under toxic masculinity. Yeah, we we can go to the uh, to the inclusive definition of men when we talked about uh, like our latest episode, which is the episode five about yeah. uh, transitioning masculinities, like trans uh, the yeah trans men and their own experience with masculinity and so on. But going back to your question now is what uh, what is the impact of toxic masculinity on mental health? So we can put it very clear for example on the way we raise kids and we with the way we raise like uh, small boys at the very start of their of their journey in life we start with notions for example well, the first idea was is gender separation actually is like men should have certain activities and women should have very different set of activities and when we look into these activities that men entertain themselves with in a very young age we can look into the nature of these activities and what sort of people and what sort of behavior it creates. All of these activities are most importantly, more social, more physical somehow. It requires strength, it requires physical strength. It requires, for example, some rigidity, some roughness, some uh, to be tough and so on, especially on the outside, especially to be, to be on, on the physical side. And to endure all of these activities and to do all of these activities, you need some strength. You need not to be like to cry while doing them. And you need to, to, be, to be somehow rough. And this, from these activities, we can have, we can listen to the discourse and we can listen to the speeches that we, 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 we maintain in these activities. For example, that you shouldn't cry over this yet, that you shouldn't, that you shouldn't act in, in this certain way, uh, tough up, man up, or somehow, uh, or all of this, uh, vocabulary. And in all of this, we are somehow shutting down the emotions of small boys and small kids, especially with a famous one like boys don't cry. Uh, some, 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 some people like entertain themselves like with, uh, and they try to belittle the impact of this, of this words on the, on the, uh, on man's mental health and man's personality. But what I want to say is that many, many people that I interviewed and many people that I got their testimonies to be integrated or even to create the podcast. Some of the testimonies are not on the podcast, but they exist in the script and uh, in the ideation of the podcast. They have no ability to cry now. They are in the uh, in their twenties, in their in their thirties, and they lost all of their capabilities to cry. Even they went to therapy to therapy, and the, and their therapist asked them to to try crying to let out all of that anger, to let out all of these traumas, and they cannot. So it's very serious, very 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 serious impact, even physically, because these men who cannot cry, they try to do some other things so that they can let out all of these anger, all of these impact, all of these burden that they have in themselves. 
For example, we can think of we can think about physical uh, physical mutilation and physical harm. For example, we can talk about some extreme activities to push themselves into the edge and to try to feel something that they cannot feel in order to let out. Mm. Some men entertain themselves with alcohol, with heavy, with like very high use of alcohol, cigarettes and smoking. For example, all of these activities are some somehow signs. On how, on what is the burden of masculinity and toxic masculinity on men and their mental health? One other side of one other impact of this is the ability of men to seek help, or even our definition of help. Like we are not we are not only talking about men seeking help, but also who who is providing that help? Who is listening to men? And can men listen to each other, or should be the should it be the women who is listening and taking and taking all of that burden? From from their partners, from their friends, and so on. So we went to to talk about uh, to talk about this from different sides. For example, with men, they have very serious problems in seeking help, not only from professionals, not only from therapists, but also from their friends. They cannot talk about their emotions, other with with their peers, with their colleagues, with their with family members, and so on. And even it gets harder when this member, when this person who is listening to you, is a man. It is very, 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 very difficult for men who we we talked about, we talked to, for them to talk with other men about their emotions. Uh, for example, one of the scenes that uh, I heard of is uh, someone who had his member, a family member who passed away, and then he joined the group in like in a setting in an after work or something, and he said that I lost my uh, my grandma or something, and uh, so he had three boys and a girl with him. On the table, and the the boys said, like the the men who were on the table said, "Oh, we are sorry for you." And they went on talking, like something, like nothing happened. And the only person who actually cared about this is the woman who is a friend of mine on the table, who turned to him and said and asked, "Are you actually all right? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to go outside and talk about it? Do you want to have some moments, like uh, private moments, like we can go and just sit and uh, maybe I can listen, or maybe we cannot talk and just uh, have a drink or something like this? You, do you want to listen to music and so on?" So the only person, and this like it's very it's very interesting to 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 look at because the only person who actually cared is a woman. And this takes us to to our ideas about caring for people, about mm-hmm. who, who should be the caregivers and yeah. the care providers. And we also expected we we all expected from from women that they should listen, they should provide, they should provide care, that, that they should be around. So toxic masculinity on on and the impact of toxic masculinity is not doesn't does not have an, an impact only on men's mental health, but also on women, because some women that we talk to. Are also fed up of having all of this burden from men that they need to fix in their lives. Some women said that I know that he is he is he is struggling and he is uh, doing great job that he is trying to connect with himself. But also, it's not my work, it's not my job to listen to him, and I'm I'm actually tired. And this is very legitimate as an opinion. And when we hear from a man, it's very legitimate and it's very okay. This is not your work. But from a woman, no. You should be more. You should be more thoughtful. You should be more, uh, more uh, attentive to this. So yeah, it's not only about men. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love our conversation a lot, <laughs> a lot. And of course, we cannot 
not touch on that topic, fatherhood. Yeah, yeah. I will put it out there and you share whatever you want to share. <laughs> actually, actually, like fatherhood is one of the one of the hard, very, very hot topics that we talked uh, in Borjulia and one of the best episodes that uh, we produced in Borjulia because it was very authentic. It was very raw. It was very, um, very relatable to to so many people and very successful in terms of listeners and so on. So for me, it starts from a very personal experience about with my father and with fatherhood and with uh, with my own um, notion of uh, with my own like how experienced not my own fatherhood but how i lived the with my my father who is a very incredible man who is very an, an amazing man but he is also a, somehow carry not somehow he carries a lot of the heritage a lot of the uh, background of toxic masculinity so i spend a lot of my before producing Bourjolais, i spend a lot of time my childhood and uh, from my uh, when I was a teenager, having reflections about my relationship with my father. Why did he do this? Why did he not do this? And all of these questions, but also no, there is no answers for them. Uh, there are no answers because I couldn't ask him the questions, um, but I started to bring up conversations with him about his experience as a father. Where Where is he coming from? Like ideologically and in his thinking and his experience in his education did he had a proper education on how to become a father on how to to act with his children and how to act with his kid with his boy uh, as a kid so all of these hard questions actually because they are hard to take but going before going into that i think one of the one of the cornerstones of masculinity and one of the sources main sources of masculinity for men is their relationship with their father because it's actually the first the first first image of men in their lives how men act and how they look like and who they are comes from all of these first notions and first definitions come from their relationship with their father and from their fathers themselves because they are the only men that they exist in their lives up to the five years of their of their childhood or maybe or maybe more and even if they are absent even if the father is absent in itself this is a definition of fatherhood and this is a definition of masculinity and what is the role of man in the relationships and this is what we discovered in the episode because in the episode we have a psychologist that we tried to deconstruct all of these notions with and we discovered that even when there is no father and the and the women and and the and the mother is somehow replacing him this is actually a definition of fatherhood and this is actually has an impact uh, on their own masculinity and their own definition of masculinity so for example when 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 from my own experience but also from other experiences the the first characteristics the first characteristic for fatherhood is the absence actually or the non the non-presence of, of fathers in the space in the in, in, at home because what we what what how we define father is that the way we define father for example is someone who provides food uh, money and uh, security safety and it stops at that point so he is actually someone who provides resources all of the emotions all of the care all of the attention all of the love that we that we need as men because we don't talk about love that much is all of the, all of the rest should come or we expect it to come from the mother and this is very, very, very frustrating because 
we expect it and we expect it to be normal and this is very normalized and we it is actually normalized from the, the, the from the very beginning from the actually from the birth of the of the child of the boy because the way we see it we see it as a moment of motherhood the, the the birth of the child is seen like in the culture or maybe in the local culture i don't want to make it a universal experience but from the local experience is that it is a motherhood moment so all of the attention all of the care is provided to the mother not only i'm not talking about the medical care because this is something else i'm talking about the attention and the center it's not the couple it's the mother as like she, 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 she was the one who carried the child and so on. And the father is totally absent. And we, we even like put it to an extreme where we exclude the father in the very early moments of the, of the, of the, uh, of the birth of the child, because we exclude him. It's not, it's not your space. You should be, you should be elsewhere. You should provide resources. We need money. We need, we need food. The child needs food. So you should do this. And this is not your space to be in. So the house is not space for the father. And some fathers with their experience, with their own definitions of masculine, because fathers are men like this is the different because we need to look at it from this perspective so that we can ex so that we can explain and that we can understand the behavior afterwards and but what, what i mean by this is that some of the implications of toxic masculinity not some the, the totality of the um, uh, implications of toxic masculinity coexist and con maintain themselves into the relationship uh, and the definition of fatherhood and the, and the relationship between the father and the mother and the father and the boy. So for example, the presence uh, in the physical, uh, the physical presence in the, in the space in, at home is very important because men are not expected to be at home like 24 hours or to spend the majority of their, of their time at home because this is like an inside space, you should be out, you should be with men, you should doing, you should be in a, a, at the coffee, you should do play football outside, you should drink outside, not here, you are not welcome here. And we normalize this as men. So when you are a father, we are perpetrating this. So you are not, you are not welcome here. And this is, for example, my experience with my father and a lot of experience that I listened to, for example, all, mm, some fathers uh, do not spend as much time as mothers do in-house at, uh, at the house so their presence is somehow weird in in, in like later phases of the uh, of the journey it's somehow weird to be around them it's not very comfortable to be around them mm. so this is for example a very early maybe a glimpse about fatherhood also for example our relationship with emotions we can for example a lot of men cannot listen to like cannot hear the word i love you or i care about you or i from their fathers we had some ter very terrible testimonies for example in the episode of uh, of some boys getting actually physically tortured from their fathers because they wanted them to to meet certain standards for example some fathers used to beat their their boys and their their ch their children in order to to make them a man like you need to be a real man so you should look like in 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 certain in certain way so they use physical uh, physical violence to do this as it is normalized in the relationships between men so this is like one of the very clear implications of toxic masculinity in uh, in fatherhood also for example like men themselves fathers themselves it's not that they do not want to, to say the word i love you for example i'm, I'm maybe I'm, i might be lucky that i hear the word i love you from my from my father but 
other men cannot listen, cannot hear this word or cannot get, get some emotions from their fathers. It's not only about that their fathers can, do not want to say it, but they cannot. They, they lost this ability to say the word or to explain their emotions. And this is one of the very clear implications of masculinity on, their, of, on mental health of men and then on fatherhood. Uh, men sometimes, like many times, lose their ability to explain their feelings and to express them uh, with mothers and with also their children. So they cannot neither explain their passion and attention to their to their partners, but also to their children. And there is some this gap between 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 the world of the children and the world of the boy in this case and uh, their fathers. Also, the the, the main source of masculinity. For, for boys is uh, their fathers, which I said already. But here there are some, there is some pressure put on boys to, to, to act in a certain way. So for example, uh, we used to say them like toughen up or men up. And the father is the source of, is the early and the first source of this, of this bullying sometimes, of this harassment before going to school, before going to, to the public space and to the outer space maybe. So, fatherhood is very, very, very central. It's very central in this, in this, in how we look to masculinity and how we look to ourselves as men. But also, what we want to talk about in the episode is, so now, what can we do with our fathers? Because this is, this is the message, like, after what we all talk about, what can we do? The message is that we should not do trials. Like this is the very early message and the very important message is that we should not put fathers on trials. We should not like, why did you do this? We are, we are doing this as a way to deconstruct and to understand our feelings and to understand our anger. So we need to understand also the, our, that our fathers, but also mothers, our parents are coming from a very, from their own background. And they were also boys to their, to their parents. My father was, was a kid at some point. And that's what he learned somehow. Some fathers, for example, were totally absent. For example, in the case of my father, my father was an orphan from a very early age. So he has no image of a father in his life. And he started to discover this from an, from the, from the scratch. Uh, other fathers that we, because we, we had fathers as guests and, uh, as interviewees, and they talked about how they started learning from books, from asking their partners, from, uh, from asking their, like, uh, their environment and so on. And they wanted to create a role. And a very, very, very important saying that we got in the, um, in the, in the episode is that the role of the mother is very clear. Like we have a very clear definition of what is a mother and what should she do. But for the father, he should invent a role for himself. And this is very important. This is very important because fathers are not taught to be fathers. Because the, the relationship between mothers and the children starts from the early beginning when they are in the uh, inside of her. And when they are like, it st starts from a very beginning and it's very very difficult for fathers to get into that relationship because it's very intimate. Like someone is coming from inside, like from inside of you. So it's not very easy to break this relationship and to create a role for yourself. So this is an additional pressure on fathers on how they they should act with the toxic masculinity. It's not an easy task to do to be a father. So we discovered this dimension which was very interesting very intimate the discussions were very intimate it's one of the most 
interesting, beautiful discussions, but also somehow, somehow like they are traumatic at some point because we heard sometimes of traumas, sometimes of uh, torture at some point. But there are also beautiful stories of men who tolerated, not tolerated, but like they went above all of this and they just, they understand their father. They understand all of these pictures and all of these complexities and they made peace with this and they did in their way and their journey to deconstruct their masculinities and to build their own definitions. Thank you, Mohammed, for sharing all of this. I can really hear the passion that you have, especially yeah. for this topic. And I think the work that you're doing with uh, Bujuleya and, and that, that you are allowing all these spaces to open up and that you have also testimonies from different people, let's say from psychologists, from fathers, from sons, from men, from from yeah, so many different people. This is this is really this is really incredible. Um, just one more thing to add, and then we can go to the next question. You said that the relationship between the mother and the child starts from the beginning because the mom is carrying the, the child. What I see here in Greece still, and maybe it's the same in your context, that often when the woman is uh, about when she she's birthing the child, the man is sent out of the room. I've heard my friends telling me here in Greece. Um, yeah, my husband was sent out a little bit before the baby came out because it's too much for him to see. It's too much for him to see me in a certain way. Or a man even saying, I don't want to be part of it. or I cannot handle it. Or while they're there, they don't know what to do. So for instance, in my case, my partner was present in, in, in all our births. And it's so important to to be a part of it, you know, when, when the yeah. woman is, is birthing the child and to be yeah. present when the child is coming out. So yeah. But based on, on what we've discussed uh, today, I want to, let's say, conclude. We cannot conclude because it's a huge topic. Yeah. But my question is, why do men need to be part of smashing the patriarchy? So the first thing that comes to my mind like right away is because it is hurting them. <laughs> because they are somehow... Not 100%, but they somehow victims of patriarchy. Like, um, if we, if we are inclusive of definition of men, some men are 100% victims of patriarchy. Uh, but also men who, who think themselves that they are dominant and they are on the top, they lost, they lost a lot of things on their way to make it to the top and to make it to the box. Actually, it's not the top. It's actually the box of domi of, typical dominant definition of masculinity so there because the it, it the, patriarchy is hurting them patriarchy is ca is causing a lot of pain is causing a lot of, of harm to their psychology to their relationship with their partners it's even not allowing them to feel to live to the fullest to go to the edge in 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 the relationship in their love in their emotions in their experience in in, the, in, in their experience in their lives and i think that When we think, I had a very interesting uh, conversation like two days ago about uh, in another podcast on uh, on mask and feminism. On is it like feminism can like can also a man be a feminist? And I think yes, it's not it's not just being an ally because also feminism is not only about women, but it's also about the oppressed groups and a very wide groups of a group of people who share very common experiences of oppression, but also but also of pain and anger about things that they have nothing to do with, but they had to go through. And I think men, the role of men is very central in this. And uh, I think 
talking about masculinity and men who are talking about vulnerability, about talking their sexuality, about talking about their living experiences, about their emotions, who are allowing themselves to be vulnerable and to speak, even like anonymously, is a very important step to smash the patriarchy from the core, from the core of like from the core, which is masculinity, because in, in the inside, it's built on masculine ideas about the image of men and manhood and who is the man and who is the woman. So yes, this is maybe the role and this is why they should be part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, talking about questions, now it's your turn to ask me a question. Okay, so um, maybe did you? Uh, maybe it can be like a personal so, uh, question or something. But did you confront some toxic masculine behavior in your journey? Maybe in your family, or maybe in your yeah, yeah. Let, let's say in your personal spaces. Not, not. I I know that you confront a lot of this <laughs> in uh, in the public spaces, but in your personal spaces, in your personal relationship. How did you confront with, confront with this and how did you deal with this to keep the relationships with someone you love, with someone you care about? Um, I can say that toxic masculinity has hurt me a lot in my life, a lot. Mm -hmm. It has been part of my feminist journey, of course. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm also so in love with feminism because it, as you said, also during our conversation, it's not just in brackets about women and it's, it's so much more. And it's about systems that we need to, to fight. Um, and we said it a lot today. It's a lot about power. It's a lot about superiority. It's a lot about oppression. It's a lot about injustice. It's about this idea of heteronormativity. So I'm, I'm really happy that we've had this conversation today and because toxic masculinity has hurt me a lot in my life and has hurt my mother a lot in her life. Um, the only difference is that my mother, and maybe it's also good for her at the end of the day, she hasn't fought against it that much because maybe in the end, because it can hurt, right? Once you open certain boxes, a lot of anger comes out, a lot of pain comes out, a lot of sadness comes out. And um, I've also seen, because let's say toxic masculinity has hurt my mom, how then women also um, embrace certain behaviors and embrace certain things and become part of it and then do the same to their daughters. So um, for me, yeah, it has hurt me a lot. And one of the ways I am yeah, dealing with yeah. it is being a feminist and really making it part of my life through this podcast, for instance, but also through the way I'm raising my children, my daughter and my sons. Um, this is the way I want to maybe, because I, I was a lot in this fighting mode that you said earlier, which at the end of the day, sometimes it doesn't lead anywhere. So what I decided at one point for myself is okay. I have children and through the way I'm raising my kids, or I'm trying to raise them together <clears throat> with my partner, not by myself. I'm giving an answer to people who kind of have internalized toxic masculinity, hurt certain behaviors um, through the conversations I'm having with my children, through how I'm telling them to speak back, to put people straight who use gay as a swear word, for instance, as I said earlier, by teaching them about their body, by naming their genitals, 
by not just telling them a leg is a leg, this is your arm, this is your stomach, this is your belly, this is whatever, but I'm not telling you what your genital is called, right? Mm -hmm. By having these open conversations at home with my kids and by also talking back to people who tell my, my sons, let's say, hey, don't be such a pussy or boys don't cry. And I say, well, what do you mean boys don't cry? Really? Or, you know, or by telling my daughter, oh, you're such, you're like a boy. What does it mean? She's like a boy, you know, or by telling people, no, my daughter does not want to kiss you. And she has the right to not kiss you because she doesn't want that by teaching them. What does it, what does consent mean? And not just consent in, in the sense of people cannot touch you at certain places, but consent you do what you feel comfortable with. If you don't want to shake somebody's hand, you don't shake somebody's hand. So this is maybe my way of dealing. And, you know, this has been a journey. It's not like from one day to the other of dealing with toxic masculinity, because at first I would attack it. And I still do it, of course. But since your question was also maybe more on a personal level, together with my partner, um, raising our kids in a certain way, having certain conversations and maybe also myself becoming more vulnerable because I was really laced with this kind of toughen up, life is hard. We don't talk about feelings. We don't cry. Like when you said that people didn't know how to cry, I still have struggles with crying, but it's not how it used to be, you know? So um, yeah, by becoming more vulnerable. And this has also been what you said also about yourself with the podcast, that how you started and how you are now. Um, since I started the podcast, I've also become more vulnerable and friends of mine tell me, wow, I have a completely different connection with you now because you are not so hard anymore. You, you, you're letting things out and that is so different, you know? Yeah. So that's a little bit my answer to your question. Thank you. This is what I love about podcasting. <laughs> this is exactly what I love about podcasts. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. I think all of us has some certain journey with masculinities, like women, men, people who don't identify with uh, neither definitions, trans men and so on. So trans women also. And it's very important to look to those experiences and to highlight them. So, yes. yes. I'm so happy that we had this conversation today. And I'm so you happy that you are having your podcast and that you're having these conversations in your context. It's so Thank important. You so much. And I hope there will be more people like you <laughs> who are doing this. And as you Thank know, you. you are the first man on Soul. <laughs> oh, oh, but I have this so, title. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that you were here today. And I thank you so, so much for thank you. being thank so, you so honest, much. being so open and um, for doing what you're doing. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Estella. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy that I'm on your podcast. I'm very uh, excited to listen to whatever story we are going to tell <laughs> this podcast. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yes. And thank you to our listeners for listening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah, you yeah. enjoyed the episode, please share it with friends, your community, on your socials. If you want to reach out to Mohammed, he will be very happy to connect. And um, yes, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.